This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Okay, let me just, um, before we begin, say a few things about the structure of the service. The structure of the service can be described in two different ways. One is to describe it as a two-part structure, the first part being the ministry of the word and the second part being the ministry of the table. Others describe it in three parts, the uh, ministry of the word, uh, then a section of prayer, and then the ministry of the table. Uh, both of those ways of describing it really are describing the same things that are happening, but just describing them in a couple of different ways. Uh, but the basic idea is that when we come together, we are doing a number of things. We're hearing from God, we're responding to God, uh, both in, in, in the scripture and in uh, the sacrament. The sacrament uh, is, is a visible word. It's a way that God speaks to us through something that we see. Uh, and so, uh, that's, that's one way in which we can, can understand the structure. Uh, another thing is, uh, just to say as a way of introduction, is that this meal is, caused, is called by different uh, words. Eucharist is a very helpful word because it means thanksgiving. It's, it's what Jesus did, and when he took the bread, he, he, he gave thanks to God or he blessed God. Uh, for for the bread that God had provided and we likewise are giving thanks for what God has provided for us in Christ so calling it the Eucharist is one good way to go Holy Communion is another good way to go because we are having communion with God and with each other in this meal we could call it the liturgy the, the word liturgy means the work of the people and so what we're doing when we come together is we are bringing everything we are everything we have to God and, and presenting it as an offering to God in response to God giving himself to us in Christ. Um, we can call it the breaking of bread. The first Christians in the book of Acts seem to refer to this as the breaking of bread. Uh, there's a little bit of a, a disagreement among scholars about this, but I think there's another term that was used in the New Testament to describe what we're doing, and that is the agape meal. Uh, some scholars think that was a different thing, that the Eucharist and the agape were two different things. I don't see the evidence for that. I think agape is a good word to use to describe this meal in the sense that it's an expression of God's love for us, but also a meal in which we can express our love for God and for one another. Am um, I missing one? The, the Lord's Supper. This is, this is a meal that Jesus gave us. So it is his supper. Uh, I don't think it's very helpful calling it the mass, uh, although some Anglicans do. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, the origins of that term are a little uh, mysterious, I think, but it's not, um, people want to call it the mass, I'm not going to complain too much. Uh, okay, let's just take a moment and be quiet. We'll light the candles and we'll, we'll pray because this is a real service of worship, even if it's constructed.
first thing that happens when we come into the service. Uh, some services have music, other services don't, is that there's a greeting. Uh, in, in many uh, non-liturgical services, the, the services, the greeting is, good morning. Uh, in more liturgical places, the greeting is as written, hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed, hallelujah. So this is a way of gathering the people together, focusing us on what we're going to be doing. And this, this is the Easter acclamation, the Easter greeting that we use. And then there's a, a collect. Uh, the word collect comes from uh, the, the same word that we pronounce collect. It's, it's the noun based on that same verb. It means to collect all the themes of what we're going to be doing together. So there is a special collect of the day, which is supposed to gather together the themes of the lessons, uh, if there is a common theme, or the theme of the day as it's been decided on. Uh, and then there are certain collects that are said on a regular basis. So this is called the Collect for Purity. Uh, it's based loosely on Psalm 139, that God, that there's nowhere we can go and nothing we can do to escape God's searching knowledge of us, but also his care for us. So let's say this collect for purity together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you those secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, in many Anglican uh, services, there is there's then a summary of the law. In some Anglican services, this has been dropped. Uh, and in some, in uh, especially during Lent or other penitential seasons, there won't be a summary, but there'll be the entire Ten Commandments read. So we have hear the summary of the law. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, in the liturgy as we do it uh, at Church of the Ascension and as the Anglican Church of North America has uh, decided, the Gloria comes next. In Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer, which you can find in, uh, in older versions of the prayer book, probably not in the 1979 book. This, this is the 1979 book of the American Church. Uh, in, in that one, you, you probably won't find it, but in the English book or the Canadian book, the Gloria will come at the end of the service after everyone has received communion as a kind of uh, climax of praise to the service. There are good arguments for having the Gloria at the end and good arguments for having the Gloria at the beginning. We're doing it at the beginning. Uh, we won't uh, say it. We're going to be singing it on Sunday, which we're going to be singing a version which comes from the hymnal. The children's talk is a modern innovation that you won't find <laughs> in most liturgies. But it fits well here because at this point, we are really beginning the ministry of the word. 
Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the ministry of the word includes reading from scripture, uh, from the Old Testament, uh, an epistle or another lesson. It could be from the book of Revelation. In some parts of the year, it could be a lesson from the book of Acts. In some parts of the year, the, uh, the book of Acts can be substituted for the Old Testament as well. That's during Easter season. And then a gospel. A gospel must be read. Uh, this, is, this is not because we think the, that the Gospels are more inspired than other parts of Scripture, but because all of Scripture points to Jesus as the Word of God. And since the Gospels are the words and actions of Jesus, we stand for that part, and that part of the service has to happen. Uh, if you're doing a communion service in a hospital room, uh, and it has to be short, somebody's quite sick, it has to be quite a short service, very often only a gospel will be read, sometimes a short one. But that's a necessary part of the service. So we, we in, at Ascension, we would have a children's talk. And then the collect of the day is the collect that gathers together the themes of the lessons. And this one, actually, this coming Sunday, although we'll be preaching on the book of Acts, is traditionally known as Good Shepherd Sunday because... The, 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 certainly the gospel and the psalm uh, are about uh, God and, and Jesus as the good shepherd. So let's pray this call up together. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. O God, whose son Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, notice that the collects all have uh, a similar kind of structure. They begin with naming something of who God is, the particular thing that we, we want to focus on. So in this one, it's God whose son Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of your people. And that it ends with usually a Trinitarian acclamation. Uh, who lives and reigns with who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. We will then have the lessons and we will read the gospel. Would you read the gospel for us? Now generally um, different people it depends on the size of the congregation and the resources available but different people will do different parts of the service. Um, so ordinarily, the prayers of the people are led by a layperson. Ordinarily, most of the lessons are read by laypeople, but the gospel will be read usually by someone who is a deacon or liturgically functioning as the deacon for that service. And of course, every bishop and every priest is also a deacon, so they can function in that. The deacon will do other things in the service, prepare the table often, uh, do the dismissal at the end. Sometimes you will see assisting priest in our bulletin. The, the assisting priest is actually doing the work of the deacon in that service. Let's stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand 
does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. You may be seated. Uh, now, that was a simple way of introducing the reading of the gospel, but it can be done in more elaborate ways as well. Sometimes, uh, before the reading of the gospel, the person who is reading the gospel will bring uh, the Bible or a gospel book. We have a gospel book here at Ascension, and uh, which we use at the 11 o'clock service. I don't think we use it at, at the 9. Uh, we don't have a procession either. Right, right. So they, they will process in with the gospel book yet during the procession at the beginning of the service. It will then be put on the communion table. When it's time to read the gospel, the person reading the gospel, the liturgical deacon, will bring it to the celebrant. Uh, the term for the person leading the communion service is generally the celebrant or the presider. You know, I kind of prefer presider because I think we're all celebrating, but okay. And celebrant is okay if you take the celebrant to be the one who is leading the celebration. But they'll, they'll bring the gospel book and themselves to the celebrant who will then pray a blessing over them, usually with the sign of the cross. And uh, sometimes at that point, either the celebrant or when the person reading the gospel, when they get to where they're reading the gospel, will cross themselves three times. Uh, God be in my mind, in my lips, and in my heart. That's the most elaborate sign of the cross that is done in, uh, in any Anglican liturgy that I know of. The sign of the cross um, is, is optional. It, no one has to make the sign of the cross. Uh, but there are particular places in the liturgy that it's been traditional to use it. And, and this is a practice which goes back at least to the second century. The first uh, thing we hear about, uh, first time we hear about Christians making the sign of the cross uh, is from Tertullian. Tertullian was a North African theologian uh, who lived around the area of Carthage, what is now a suburb of Tunis in Tunisia in the late second, early third century, and uh, Tertullian, uh, in one of his writings, says, I'm going to get the quotation straight, we have worn out our foreheads with the sign of the cross. Uh, and it seems that in the earliest uh, centuries of the church, the sign of the cross was simply done on the forehead. But it later became uh, a bit larger. Uh, the sign of the cross has to do with knowing that the blessing of God comes from him down to us and is for the whole world. So the sign of the cross is a kind of significant thing uh, that's done. Uh, the, I used to know the reason for this, but I don't anymore. Orthodox cross themselves right to left, and they're very insistent on that. And Western church tends to, uh, people in the Western church tend to cross themselves from left to right. Uh, I'm sure that they were probably people who lost their lives over that dispute. <laughs> um, uh, after the reading of the lessons, there in uh, 
we're not doing it tonight because the in a sense the whole thing is a sermon but there there must be a sermon uh, it, it's interesting in the medieval period uh, priests would celebrate the mass and they would do it alone and there would be no sermon there's nobody to preach to if you're alone uh, masses were offered as a kind of uh, work which accumulated merit and enabled people to get out of purgatory and so it, it was really misused and so one of the things that Vatican II did in the Roman Catholic Church well two of the things they did in, in Vatican II was one is insist that no priest can celebrate the Eucharist alone Jesus said when two or three are gathered together and the Roman Catholic Church said in Vatican II there has to be at least two there has to be a congregation, even if it's a congregation of one. Uh, and there must be a sermon. And it was interesting. The Roman Catholics have been very insistent on this, uh, even more than some Anglicans have. Um, I've been in certain situations where it's been suggested we skip the sermon. And uh, I've kind of said, well, you know, Roman Catholics don't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's the word and the sacrament need to be kept together. Uh, at, at this point in the service, uh, after the sermon is preached, we have heard the scriptures read, we have heard the scriptures proclaimed, and now uh, the recital of the creed continues this whole theme of the word, because the creeds are meant to be a summary of the entire message of the word of God. And so uh, after the sermon, uh, uh, the creed is said. Actually, in, in Cranmer's version, uh, in the Reformation period, they did the creed before the sermon. It makes a little difference. But let's stand together and we'll say the creed. Uh, at Ascension, generally, people will turn to face um, the communion table and especially the cross, which is behind the communion table. In a more informal setting like this, uh, we're not all going to turn. We're just going to be together. Together, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. And we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. The creed which we say was um, 
primarily established in, at the Council of Nicaea in 325. It was slightly amended in Constantinople in 381. Is that when they added the Filioque? No, it's when they added the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I mean, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, yeah. Um, so um, it's, it's ancient. This, this goes back a long way. Uh, it's still being argued about. Uh, there, the Eastern Church, the Orthodox churches, uh, do not say that um, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. It just says it proceeds from the Father. This is an argument primarily about the eternal life of the Trinity, which is largely unknown to us. So it's a it's a kind of difficult argument, but. They, they are right, they weren't invited to the meeting where the change was made. So the, the, the change was made without universal consent, which was a, a bit of a problem and still is a bit of a problem. Uh, some Anglicans uh, do some uh, manual actions. Manual actions are, are actions you do with your body at some points in the service. Do some manual actions during the creed. Uh, the, the primary one has to do with the incarnation. So if you look at the second paragraph of the creed, which deals with, with the sun, um, it says in near the middle of that paragraph, for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. At this point, some Anglicans will bow slightly. Uh, and this is... Uh, a remember, uh, to remember that Jesus came down uh, in the incarnation for us. So uh, for us and for our, for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and was made man. Now here's an interesting little, uh, I'm not sure it's a controversy, but there's a difference in practice. Uh, in, in some places, at that point, when people have been bowing slightly, when it says, and suffered for us under Pontius Pilate, they will come up during that point. Uh, others will wait until the resurrection to lift their heads. Now, both have a good, arg a good biblical argument. Uh, if you read Philippians 2, 5 to 11, what you see is that uh, Christ in his incarnation uh, took on the form of a slave. And being found in human likeness, he uh, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So it goes from there to, to the resurrection, the ascension. In the Gospel of John, uh, the, the, the exaltation of Christ begins at the cross. Jesus is lifted up. The beginning of his lifting up is when he is lifted up on the cross. So the pattern in the Gospel of John is Jesus' incarnation and then the cross and the resurrection. So there's an argument for either, there's a biblical argument for either practice. Some, uh, some Anglicans will uh, bow their heads slightly at uh, the third line of the final paragraph of the creed, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Um, now, other Anglicans will go whole hog. That's probably a bad 
way of phrasing it. Uh, but not just uh, not just bow, but genuflect. So genuflect meaning uh, kneel down. Usually in this particular case on one knee. So at the mention of the incarnation, I'll go down on one knee, and then at the mention of the cross or the resurrection, uh, stand up straight again. So that's in more Anglo-Catholic places you will find that. Of course, this is all based on the idea in, again, in Philippians 2, 5, 11, 5 to 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Well, if at the end of everything, uh, every knee will bow, well, maybe I can at least bow my head at this point. Uh, that's, that, this is entirely optional, but it's, I've, I found it sometimes quite helpful. Uh, we then have the prayers of the people, uh, usually done by a layperson. Although in in the Reformation period, the prayer was done by by the priest, largely because most of the lay people were not literate. Uh, but uh, let's. I want to act as layperson as well as deacon today. Why don't you lead us in a in a time of intercession? Uh, there are several forms of intercession that can be used. Uh, and the, general, the general idea is to bring the needs of the congregation and the needs of the world uh, before the Lord. So let's spend, uh, well, let's stand to pray. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all nations in the ways of justice and truth, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles, and bring them the joy of your salvation. If any names are laid upon your heart right now that you might lift up, I invite you to do so now. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. We commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled. And we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Grant all these prayers, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated.
then uh, continuing in the prayer time, we move into a time of confession. Uh, in, in some services, especially uh, on Ash Wednesday, but in other liturgical seasons that are penitential seasons, uh, the confession may be longer than, than normal, uh, it, but it's, this is not an option in the service. A confession uh, should be said and an absolution should be heard. So um, let's stay seated this time and we'll say the confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly, humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins, to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon, and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. There, there are debates about the theology of saying the absolution. Uh, in the Anglican tradition, it is only someone who is a priest who can say the absolution. Uh, this is not because anyone else saying it would not have an effect, but because there's a kind of chain of authority in, uh, in how the church is is organized, uh, but there are there are important arguments to be made for um, toning down priestly authority, and and one of those arguments is actually right in the prayer book in morning prayer. Let me read to you what the absolution at in the traditional morning prayer service says. It says, Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desires not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, hath given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. So, the ministers have authority to pronounce absolution, but the people have to be penitent. But then it says this, He pardoneth and absolveth all them that truly repent and unfeignedly believe his holy gospel. God forgives, God absolves. The, the minister, the priest or the bishop who pronounces the absolution, pronounces absolution. They don't give it. They pronounce God's forgiveness for the congregation. And then it goes on uh, to pray that, that people who have asked for, for forgiveness now will be strengthened in their Christian life in the future. Wherefore, we beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that those things may please him which we do at this present, and that the rest of our life hereafter may be pure and holy, so that at the last we may come to his eternal joy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, in uh, the ancient church, and this has been revived in more modern liturgies, 
The next part of the service is the piece. And the piece really uh, expresses the idea that if we have received forgiveness and reconciliation with God, if we have re truly repented and are willing to follow Jesus, then we ought to be at peace with one another. Uh, Jesus talked in Matthew 5 about uh, if you're presenting your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, you should go to your brother first. Leave your gift. Go to your brother, make it right. Then present your gift at the altar. And so the, the, the theology behind the exchange of the peace is a theology which has to do with a, this deep idea that the Christian community needs to be uh, constantly uh, seeking to be reconciled with each other. It needs to be a reconciled and reconciling community. So let's stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And your spirit. In the liturgy, as it's printed, you will sometimes see things written in languages that you have not learned. Um, sometimes uh, we, we will have something in Greek. Usually, I think the only thing we usually have in Greek is, is the Kyrie. So during penitential season, instead of the Gloria, we'll say the Kyrie. Kyrie eleison is Greek for Lord have mercy. And then in many other places, we will have things like on page 13, the Sanctus. Sanctus means holy. The Sursum Corda. Sursum Corda means lift up your hearts in Latin. So each of these uh, sections of the liturgy that have uh, little Latin or Greek phrases usually take their uh, title from the first line. The Sursum Corda is a bit of an exemption, uh, a bit of an exception here because uh, two more lines have been added before lift up your hearts but uh, this is what so we come now to uh, the the communion proper and uh, setting the table uh, can be a fairly elaborate or fairly simple process so uh, each of these things has names this is called a burst which means a bag uh, and it has a very pragmatic purpose it holds purificators so a purificator is a cloth used to wipe the cup as it's being brought to people for communion. This is called a veil. This is called a pall. A pall is usually something that's placed on a coffin. And so because it's called that, it sometimes uh, has acquired all kinds of symbolic meaning. Uh, it's usually used during communion to put over the communion cup. There's a very practical reason for this. And anybody's been a missionary in Africa or in any place where there are fruit flies or any kind of other flies know that at some times of the year you want to put something over that. And certainly in Africa, uh, I'd end up wrapping the bread up in the plastic I brought it in after uh, in the middle of the prayers because 
you know, there were all kinds of critters that would appear from nowhere. <laughs> uh, so there are very practical purposes for these things. Candles are generally used, uh, and, and at this point in our history, we think of them as symbolic of the light of Christ coming into the world. That's absolutely true. The main reason they're there is so, you know, in a, in a context where there's no electricity, you can actually read. Uh, I was telling Jonathan earlier that I literally for the last five and a half years have preached most of the time in the dark because our churches were made out of mud and sticks and straw, very few windows, no windows made out of glass, certainly. So people would read the Bible by the door and then I would preach without notes because I couldn't read them anyway. So the candles were always on our communion tables in Ethiopia because we couldn't read the liturgy without them. So the, these, pr these pragmatic things that we need to do uh, certain things have acquired symbolic meaning. Some of that symbolic meaning is very helpful, but we need to remember that much of the time that's, it is a kind of secondary thing that's been added to the liturgy. Well, let's turn to page 12. We'll uh, enter into the Lord's Supper proper, into the ministry of, of the Word. Oh, one, one more thing. Uh, very often, you'll see this at 11. You might see it at 9 sometimes. Uh, before uh, the priest celebrates, he will wash his hands. Uh, let, me, uh, let me finish preparing the table. This is called a flagon. Uh, smaller ones are, are called cruets. Sometimes in some Anglican circles, um, um, the priest will bless the water before it's added. Uh, again, there have been symbolic reasons given for having water and wine together. Uh, some of them having to do with the Gospel of John, saying that water and blood came out of Jesus' side. Uh, other reasons have been given. Uh, the primary reason why it was first given was because the wine was too strong. Uh, it was a way of, of uh, diluting it a bit. Uh, why don't we do the lavabo? This is called a lavabo, which is uh, it's a hand-washing basin. This ceremony of washing the fingers is based on Psalm, I've got a note here, Psalm 26, verse 6, which says, I will wash my hands in innocency, O Lord, and so will I go to thine altar. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But chiefly are we bound to praise you for the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For he is the true Paschal Lamb who was offered for us and has taken away the sin of the world, who by his death has destroyed death 
and by his rising to life again has won for us everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself, and when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once and for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him so that he may dwell in us and we in him and bring us with all your saints into the fullness of your heavenly kingdom, where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Now, there are a lot of theological controversies in a number of things we just did. <laughs> One is the fraction, uh, because... Uh, some liturgical theologians put a lot of stress on 
the four actions that seem to be uh, recorded in the Last Supper narrative. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And much has been made of the idea of breaking the bread as relating to the cross and Christ's broken body and so forth. There, there are some problems with this. The Gospel of John says that his body wasn't broken, that his, bo- his bones weren't broken, and it nowhere actually says in the New Testament that Christ's body was broken for us. It says it was given for us. Um, and so I think maybe too much emphasis has been given to the fraction. The bread is broken primarily so that it can be distributed. Um, the, the gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. In the prayer book, in the early prayer books, Anglican prayer books, were what was said when, when the distribution was going. Uh, especially uh, the part that begins, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Uh, so in the prayer book of Edward VI, Cranmer just had that at the distribution. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you. Whereas in previous books, it had said the body of Christ, which is given for you. So the Protestants wanted to emphasize this. It's a piece of bread. It's going to remind you of what Jesus has done. Catholics wanted to emphasize it's the body of Christ given for you. Uh, And so in the Elizabethan prayer book, the two were put together. We've, we've kind of gone back a little bit to a more Catholic way of distribution. Uh, I tend to say the whole thing. I don't know if you've noticed when I'm saying communion at the rail, I tend to say the whole, the whole thing over because I think both emphases are needed that um, G- God is giving himself to us in this meal, but also uh, it is what Jesus did on the cross that is the important thing. And this meal is, is re- a reenactment of that reality. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Yep, we please. used to say, or the celebrate used to say, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed. Ah, yes, this is another one of those controversies. This, this is one, the, this is the new ACNA one, and there are two options, actually, in the ACNA prayer book that will come out next year. One is to say Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And the other is to say this more full one, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us once for for all upon the cross. Um, Again, there are are two theological emphases in tension here. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Uh, but it's not actually, the, the text in which that's quoted isn't actually in a Eucharistic context. He's talking about Jesus dying on the cross. And the word is is problematic. The tense is an aorist in Greek, which is not translatable into English, really. We, old textbooks of Greek used to say the aorist is the simple past. It's not. It's, uh, it's, the Greek does, deals more with... Um, the uh, Greek verbs deal more with aspect than with time. So the aspect of the aorist is that this is something that is universally applicable. That is, it's something that, that is for all time. It's not just happening now. It didn't just happen then, but it's for all time. But in English, it's very hard to reproduce. Uh, 
the emphasis on the one we have here is that it's not what we're doing here that is the sacrifice. It's what Jesus did on the cross that's the sacrifice. And so um, I'm glad Jonathan has decided to use this one. I think it's, it's much clearer. Um, uh, it really it brings in a lot of theology from the book of Hebrews uh, about the once for all nature of Christ's sacrifice. Then uh, in many places uh, there is an Agnes Dei. Agnes Dei means Lamb of God. And so that hymn is very often used uh, at the beginning of, of when people are receiving communion. I, I have a question. Mm -hmm. When we go forward to receive communion, yep. it seems like there's a standard response. We're supposed to say, I don't know. Your the, the response is amen. <laughs> oh. Some people say thanks. Uh, <laughs> don't thank me. Say amen. Yeah, I'm going to say the body of Christ given to you or take this. Um, the, the proper response is, is addressed to God. Amen. Thank you for what you've done for me. Uh, th that brings up another point, and that is how to receive. Uh, the usual Anglican way to receive, I say usual because there are other ways, is to put your hands like this. Some people say to form a throne for Christ to be enthroned. Uh, you if you put your hands like this and then the the, the host is given to you, you are in a posture of reception. Uh, if you do this and take it, uh, you know, well, take and eat this, okay. But it's, it's more about what God has done for us rather than what we're doing. Uh, in some Anglican circles, in more Anglo-Catholic places, they will simply come and open their mouths and the priest will put it on the tongue. But uh, not very many people do that at Ascension. But you need to be prepared if that happens. <laughs> Let's say the Agnes Day together and then partake. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant us at this point, in ordinary Anglican practice, the, the celebrant takes communion first. Uh, in some places, uh, people feel, some, some clergy feel a little nervous about that. And think, oh, you know, really, we, it ought to be shared. The reality of this practice, I think, is that the Eucharist points us to the cross. <coughs> and if the priest isn't willing to go to the cross first, how can he call he or she call somebody else to to go to the cross? So uh, I think it's a good practice for the celebrant to part to partake first. The mm -hmm. um, So uh, what's the significance of everyone coming up and taking it individually versus I come from a Presbyterian background yep. of like everyone taking it at the same time? Um, yep. It. I, I mean, both practices are are really significant, and the practice of taking it at the same time does express a kind of. Uh, communal unity in, in the body. But coming up and receiving communion uh, says that you had to get up and make a decision to come forward. Uh, you've had to examine yourself. You've had to say, uh, am, am I reconciled with my brothers and sisters? Uh, am I willing to receive the grace of God? So that's, uh, that's how it's usually been done for, and for that reason. 
the body of Christ. The blood of Christ. The body of Christ given freely. The blood of Christ shed freely. We'll need some help with this in a minute. This is called, this section of the service is called the ablutions, which means, basically means washing the dishes. Uh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on saying blood of Christ sheds to you versus salvation? They're both really significant. Uh, um, what Jesus has done for us is... Uh, provide salvation for the world. That salvation for the world is also individually appropriate. So given for you emphasizes that individual appropriation and uh, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation may uh, emphasize a little bit more that it's available to all. So the ablutions are important, uh, but usually done out of sight. The, the main reason we do the ablutions, yeah, I'll, I'll get there in a second. The main reason, reason we do this is to prevent the elements from being used superstitiously. I have some stories I can tell you, not from Africa, from North America, of people coming up for communion and slipping the wafers into their pocket and, and taking off out of the church. And, you, and you know, I, I had to set a sides person on somebody once in the cathedral in Montreal when I realized he'd slipped the host into his pocket. Uh, There are people who want to use uh, Eucharistic elements for uh, superstitious or even occult reasons. And so we either consume them or we lock them up. And they're used to to bring to people who are sick. Uh, We have lay people who can bring uh, community to people who are sick in the hospital or who are shut in. Yes. Yeah, and that that's the main reason. Okay. So uh, the post communion prayer and the blessing follow this action. Uh, the post communion prayer kind of sums up everything we've been doing, and the blessing uh, basically says we need to go out of here empowered by the Spirit. So we need to take God's blessing with us. And then there's a final dismissal, which actually sends us. Anglicans can't really finish a service. You know, we've got to finish it three times. Okay, so on page 18, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with spiritual food, with the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you now and always. Amen. Amen. And do the dismissal. Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Alleluia. Alleluia.
Thanks be to God. God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sorry we've kept you long, but I hope it's been a useful evening. Uh, God bless you. Thank you.